wonderful to be with you this morning. I love being in this church. I love being in West Virginia. And I love this pastor. We talk about scientists that have a beautiful mind. This man has a beautiful heart. I love his heart and I love the way he shepherds his people. And yesterday, I discovered the people taking care of your teenagers are beautiful people too. You parents need to know your teenagers are in good hands in this church, especially Brandon. Brandon actually is a help to grade schoolers. These little boys that get discouraged, you know, about having HDHD, uh, you know, mom and dad can say, well, look at Pastor Brandon. He, he's a great man, you know. <laughs> and it just kind of encourages a child, you know. <laughs> Parents can also use that to scare a child. If you don't take your red line, I just, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> I love that guy so much. Uh, yesterday, I had an opportunity to talk with uh, the people that came to the broader conference as well as the youth leaders. I raised some themes with them. And, and one of the things we talked about yesterday was this wonderful prospect of mom and dad becoming really the most important spiritual influence on their own children. We all believe in the importance of the church, pastor, youth leaders. We all believe in that. But, but what an exciting day to think about mom and dad mattering more to a child or a teenager spiritually than anybody else. Now, to be perfectly honest, in this message, I, I really want to speak more directly to those of you that still have kids at home. But I do want to invite the entire congregation, you grade schoolers, teenagers, everybody, I, I want to invite everybody to, to just jump in and see if you can't pull some things out of this message that fits you. But really, mom and dad, my, my remarks are for you. I, I want to raise three questions with you parents that, that might be helpful to you, might be an inspiration, but it, it really, three questions that can help you prepare to be all that your kids need you to be. Now, those of you that were here yesterday, I, I hope you'll give me permission to just repeat one theme. I, I'm trying to say this, preach this everywhere I go. So, so hang with me just for a moment and allow me to ask mom and dad a, a very perceptive question. Are you actually certain that you have been redeemed, that you've been saved? Now, I know the vast majority of you would say, Brother Richard, that's kind of an unusual question. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here, I'm a baptized member of this church. I'm here almost every Sunday, been in church all my life. Why, why exactly would we take time for somebody to ask me, are you sure you've been saved? Well, I'm going to tell you why I'm going to ask the question. Billy Graham, a lot of other great Christian leaders that study churches carefully have always said about half of the baptized members of churches are lost. Now, I know that seems almost impossible to imagine, but there's good evidence for it. Now, I'm going to show you specifically what that means. Uh, you know, people are blowing up everything these days. Let's just, let's just create a scenario. If the bad people drops a bomb on us and cross lanes just vaporized, I mean in an instant, we're all gone. Five minutes later, this entire congregation would be, if you want to use this imagery, the whole congregation would be approaching the pearly gates. 
And because this church loves each other, lots of relationships, everybody's talking, chattering, probably saying, man, that was crazy. What was that all about? But then quickly our attention would turn to heaven and a lot of you would be asking each other, well, when do you think the first buffet is going to open? And anyway, you know, we're just excited about getting inside. Can you imagine this whole church approaching the gate and half the church hearing the most impossible news you are not coming in. In fact, you're going to a place of torment forever. That actually is going to happen. And I think it's worthwhile every once in a while to just consider the possibility, am I going to be part of the half that goes in or am I going to be part of the half that goes to a terrible place? You can be a leader in this church and be lost. You can teach a Bible class and be lost. Now you say, Brother Richard, how on earth could that be possible? All right, let me ask you. Can you learn to speak German fluently? I mean perfectly. Can you learn to speak German perfectly and yet not be a German? Well, of course you can. Can you learn to speak Christianly almost perfectly and not be a child of God? Well, actually, you can. So the fact that you're even a leader and, quote, faithful may not necessarily mean Jesus Christ has transformed your heart and made you his child. Now, this is familiar, familiar territory in Scripture, but let me just read to you from Matthew 7. Jesus speaking, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now that fit the day in which Jesus was writing and speaking. But, but what might people say today standing at the gate trying to get in? What might they say? Didn't we say grace before dinner? Didn't we vote our values? Didn't we believe prayer should be allowed in school? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we get misty-eyed when they sang God Bless America at the ballpark? Didn't we give some money to the church? Didn't we want America to return to its Christian roots? Now, all of those are wonderful things. But you can believe and say every one of those things and not be a child of God. Now you and I both know you go out, out there and you stand on any street corner with a microphone and you ask people, are you going to heaven? You know what the most common answer is going to be. I hope so, correct? Did you know there's no hoping so to it? You're either going or you're not going and really it's more concrete than that. There is this book in heaven this morning, and it's got names in it. And your name is either in the book or your name is not in the book. And that has nothing to do with your baptism or your church membership. So let me just ask you, is your name in 
the book. I'm reading from Revelation 20. Listen to the word of God. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now let me just ask you, on what day was your name written in the book? What day was that? Once again, that has nothing to do with your baptism. Now you might not be able to say it was a Tuesday or a Thursday. I, I wouldn't expect you to know that. But generally speaking, when was that season in your life when you repented of your sin and turned heart and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ? When was that? And if you would say, that's a little bit vague to me, then I would ask you to seriously consider, are you certain your name's in the book? Now you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus speaks consistently to lost people. What, what, what is he saying over and over and over? He is saying, first, you have to believe in me, which means here I am standing five foot something, I'm, I'm a, I'm, today I'm looking like a human being, but you've got to believe that I am God. You have to believe that I am God incarnate here on the earth. I am divinity, and you have to believe that my death on the cross accomplishes something. You have to believe by faith that when I die, it is for the forgiveness of the sins of mankind. You've got to believe that by faith. But, but that's not all he says. He says, believe in me, but he also says, you have to repent. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sin. You have to repent. You have to be sorrowful for your sin. You have to confess your sin. You know, that's what nobody's willing to do these days. Have you noticed anybody famous lately that will just straight up and say, I did it, I was wrong? I said, no, nobody wants to say that today. But that is necessary for salvation. You're looking God in the face and you are saying, I have lived against you. I am confessing to you that I have sinned and I am sorrowful about that. But you know, repentance is not just sorrow. Repentance in the Greek, especially, it's a military term. It refers to an about face. I am turning from my sin and a preoccupation with me to a preoccupation with Jesus. I'm turning away from living for myself, my own goals, and I'm turning toward a life of discipleship in Jesus. Did you get that? I'm turning from self to a life of discipleship in Jesus. You say, Brother Richard, I went down front with some friends during vacation Bible school. I, I'm, I'm sure I said some little prayer. I would ask you, wonderful. You may have met Jesus in that moment. I did when I was a child. But are you certain that you are repenting of your sin? Are you certain that by a conscious act of your will, you are turning from a life centered on you to a life of discipleship in Jesus? Parent, the reason I'm starting the sermon here is, obviously, you can't be important to your kids spiritually if you're a religious person who doesn't know Jesus. Your salvation is essential to your having a spiritual impact on those coming behind you. Now, 
If you would say, by the grace of God, if you would say, Brother Richard, I am sitting here this morning, and I am certain beyond any shadow of a doubt, I gave my heart and life to Christ. I repented of my sin. I did turn and enter a life of following Jesus. Then you're ready for the second question. We're not going to talk about your family yet. I'm going to talk about you, you parent, and anybody else that's listening in. What is your purpose, your purpose? Or to say it a different way, why are you on planet Earth? Why are you here? Primarily, big picture, what is your purpose? Now look at me, look, look. Once again, let's go back to your salvation. You were turning from a life focused on you to a life of the discipleship in Jesus. So, so in choosing this life at your salvation, now over here, what is the overarching purpose of your life? What is it? Well, if you follow Scripture, which is what you committed to do, if you follow Scripture, then you're going to follow great commandment, great commission above all things. Great commandment is just an expression we use to describe the teaching of Scripture. Let me read for you. In a place that my tablet just lost. <laughs> you are commanded to love the Lord God, heart, soul, mind, strength, above anything else, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We call that the great commandment. And those are not just religious words. Those are practical purposes for living. Let me just ask you, child of God of any age, would it be the general character of your life that you would say, in my decisions, in how I spend my time, in how I spend my money, I am giving clear evidence that I love God Almighty above all things. When push comes to shove, Him, His kingdom, His glory trumps everything. Would you say that's true for you? What about other people? For Jesus to say, love others as you love yourself, that means loving sacrificially. Would you say it is the nature, the characteristic of your life? That you put the well-being of others ahead of you? You are consistently making sacrifices for the well-being of others? That's exactly what you were commanded to do. Now, we call that the great commandment. Closely tied to that is the great commission. Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives 40 days after the resurrection. He's about to ascend into heaven. What does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You know, some of us wrongly believe there is a two-tier system in the church. We honestly think, you know, people get saved and then they either join the A team or the B team. And you know the A team, now those people are really serious about their faith and they're all excited about church stuff. And you know, they're out there telling people about Jesus and we're, we're thankful for them and they're, that's fine. I'm on the B team. I'm kind of a normal person. I do enjoy coming to church. I do enjoy the program. But, but in terms of that being the big deal of your week, me having a responsibility to say something about Jesus. No, that, you know, that's the A-team, and we're thankful for them. God bless them. That's just not me. Did you know there's not one sentence in the Bible 
that says there's a two-tier system. It is the purpose of your life to love God, love others, and make disciples. My brother didn't go to college, but he is good with his hands. He can create beautiful cabinetry. In fact, it goes into some of the nicest houses in Dallas-Fort Worth. But he's in a shop full of craftsmen, and those men in that shop have every problem known to heaven. My, my, my brother is never preachy. He's just a normal guy. But he is consistently helping those guys out with their issues. And every time it fits in the conversation, he's pointing people toward Jesus. He is trying to make a living with his hands. But on the way to his shop, he knows the purpose of my life today primarily is to make disciples of Jesus. Even if it involves sacrifice. I want to ask you a very practical question. I, I guess I'm talking mainly to, to middle-aged people right now. But if you prayed, not one time, that could be bad pizza, but if you prayed several times and you kept getting the same answer in prayer, what if you understood God to tell you you are supposed to sell your house and take that money and rent an apartment in a Section 8 housing complex full of indigent people with all kinds of troubles, and you guys were supposed to move into that apartment complex for the express purpose of using your free time to help others and to be salt and light among folk with lots of struggles. If you just knew God was telling you to do that, would you do it? Would you sell your comfortable home and would you move to a place that's going to be stressful for the purpose of making disciples? Now, I know for some of you that messes with your head because some of you are sitting there thinking, Brother Richard, I thought the whole point of this church religion thing, I thought the point of this was have a good life, be happy, be prosperous. I thought that was kind of the, the deal with coming to church. No, that's heaven. Down here, the purpose is love God, love others, and make disciples. That is the purpose of our lives. Now, once again, parent, if you're tracking with me and you would say simply by the grace of God, I know, I know him. And by his grace, I would say, generally speaking, the purpose of my life is to love God, love others and make disciples. Then you're ready for the third and final question. What is the purpose of your family? In fact, I wonder, has that specific question come to your mind before just to say for us the Griswolds what what is the purpose of our family what 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 is it that we're on earth for as a family okay watch the logic watch the logic what's your purpose love God love others make disciples what is the purpose of Cross Lanes Baptist Church corporately what is the purpose of this church body love God love others make disciples so would it come as a great surprise to you to discover the purpose of your family is to love God, love others, and make disciples as a family? Now, if you're a child of God, and if you would say, He is supreme in my life, what that means is that purpose, those three things, 
Those stand above any other thing going on in your family's uh, experience total. That stands above everything. And actually, in the very real world, that's the way you make decisions. A coach comes to you and says, if I put your boy on this traveling team, you're going to have a lot better chance for a scout to see him. The scouts are more likely to see a traveling team than a school team. And if a scout sees your boy, you've got a little better chance for a college scholarship. And that excites you. And then the coach clears his throat and says, but for this league, I will need your son six full Sundays in a row. And you're thinking, I've got a decision to make. It'd be kind of exciting to give my boy a leg up in athletics. But six Sundays of worship, six Sundays of Bible study, six Sundays feeling connected to the people of God, I'm going to have to make a decision. Well, what will your criteria be as you make that decision? We as a family exist to love God, love others, and make disciples above all things. Similar question. You hear that the youth group is busy making plans for a mission trip. They're going to go to a dark place, not much gospel. They're going to love people to Christ. And you're thinking, that sounds pretty wonderful. But then you discover that's the same week as cheerleading camp or an orchestra camp or a pitching camp. And then you say, now I've got to make a decision. What will be my criteria? We love God, love others, and make disciples as a family. We do that above all things. You as a family are thinking about just going away for the weekend. We've got the money. We've got the time. Why don't we just go do something? And yet part of your heart is drawn toward being in worship, being part of a fellowship of God, getting some more scripture, and you're just thinking, we could afford to be gone, but my soul, what what was the purpose of our family in the first place? Love God, love others, make disciples. To to, to kind of recap all three questions, why would anybody, why would anybody turn from a life focused on me. You know, me is kind of a big deal. Why would anybody turn from a life focused on me to a life focused on God? Why would anybody who could choose any purpose for their lives, why would anybody say, I'm choosing the purpose of my life being loving God, loving others, making disciples? And why would any family with all kinds of exciting opportunities, why would any family choose those same three values? I can only think of one reason. Jesus. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't think it's motivational enough to say, well, I would do those things to be a good Baptist. I don't think that's motivational enough. I don't think it's motivational enough to say, I would do those three things to be a faithful church member. I mean, that's fine. I just don't think that's motivational enough. The reason we take all of life and push that below The greatness of God is for the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the reason. I don't know of anything else that would make us, lead us, motivate us to make God supreme other than the greatness of Christ. I found, this is a a familiar scripture, but I read it in a new way the other day and I thought, oh my soul, that scripture brings two 
powerful themes together in a couple of verses. Let me me read. Listen. Listen with new ears. Listen. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Watch. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why would you give your heart to Christ in the first place? For the cross, for the throne. Why would you as an individual say the whole point of my life on this earth, the reason I go to work, the reason I do everything I do, the purpose behind all of that is Jesus, others, and disciples. Why would you choose that? Because of the greatness of the cross, your gratitude for salvation. My dear friend, do you know what kind of mess you would be this morning had you never been saved? Does that make you shiver? It does me. My soul, I would be surrounded by broken relationships. I would be embarrassed to the people, embarrassment to the people that know me, and you would be too. Do you feel gratitude for your salvation? It's the cross and it's the throne that the king sits exalted on. That is what motivates us. And I would just say for all of us, parent, not parent, single adult, grade schooler, you are choosing to live your life a life of discipleship for the king because of the greatness of Christ. It is each of you that are saying, my God and my king. Would you just bow your heads? Just bow your heads. We're we're coming to a moment of commitment. These are all familiar themes. But, but sometimes just, you know, a different voice just makes us think more carefully. Mom and Dad, let, let me just ask you specifically. Has this thought really been on your mind lately? Why does our family exist? What is the point? Parents, some of you are already looking forward to high school graduation. Some of you are already thinking about Awards assemblies and tassels and trophies. But parent, I want to ask you a very specific question. When your child is 18, what do you hunger to see more than anything? When your child is 18, what do you hunger to see more than anything? You have to figure that out because what you want more than anything is what's going to shape the decisions you make between now and 18. Teenagers, listen to me. Right now, you can make some of those decisions yourself for your own life. And you can decide before I walk across that graduation stage, this is the disciple of Jesus I want to grow into. But I think for moms and dads this morning and and, and for some grandparents, 
The real issue is, number one, do I know Jesus? And if you confirm that you do, then am I living a life, especially as a parent, that places God in his kingdom above everything? Sometimes doing something concrete is a good way to just nail down a decision. And I do wonder if for some of you, just coming to kneel here in the altar would be a way for you to say, Lord Jesus, this is just a a moment of recommitment for me. I do love you, do know you. But it would be a blessing to me this morning to just recommit myself again to simply say, Lord Jesus, you, your glory, that's going to be number one issue at my house. You give me the grace and the wisdom, and you are going to be the paramount issue at my house. You just come, say a prayer, go back to your seat. Grandparents, if if you feel like praying for your grandkids and you can't kneel, I can't. Just come and sit on this front row. Sit on the front row and we'll make that part of the prayer altar. You pray for your grandkids, go back to your seat. But it could be for a baptized member of this church, you would say, Brother Richard, to be perfectly honest, I did go forward once upon a time and I was even baptized. But I know there has been a time since then that I truly gave my heart to Christ, maybe even this morning. And I would want my church family to rejoice with me about that. And I would like to even talk with others about being baptized this side of my actual salvation. Pastor Seth would love to have that conversation with you this morning. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would be the center of all attention the next few moments. I pray, Lord Jesus, that people that listen to your voice would do whatever it is that you're inviting them to do for the glory of your name. I ask this in your name. For your eternal glory, amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? Would you stand?